You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we are here with Kimmery Martin, who is an amazing author. Now, let's talk about it. Writing is a gift. It shares what you know, or even better, what you've just made up, but sounds really convincing because you're a really good writer. Now, it's a form of communication that can either draw you in to stay up late or it can put you to sleep. But let's face it, social media might not have taken off the way it did if it weren't for clever little quips to convey thoughts in 280 characters or less, or with just the right pictures because of writing. And we tell you this not to praise people um, who have the gift to write great stuff for us, but because of our next guest on the Brand Butters podcast is an accomplished author who has three novels and about a billion book reviews to her credit, which is incredible. Now that's, exta- it's an exaggerated, okay, maybe we exaggerated that, I apologize. But let's talk about, you know, when she published her first novel, she also went to medical school, she became a doctor, she's a mother of three, she volunteers with a number of nonprofit boards, which... I don't even know how you have time to sleep or write uh, with all of that, but that's incredible. But let's talk a little bit more about Kimmery. Let's learn uh, about what not only she writes about, but what she does, you know, not only for our community, but for, for our country. And we're so excited. Thank you, Kimmery. Welcome to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Kimmery. That, wow. You, you have a heck of a resume and sound like a really, really busy person, especially <laughs> with three kids. Um, what are you up to these days? Well, <laughs> I always feel compelled to tell people that I mainly am running around screwing things up when they list all the stuff that I do. <laughs> because, <laughs> I, you know, there's this, this idea that somehow you do everything perfectly. And, and no, I don't. I'm generally rushing out the door with my clothes on inside out or forgetting to pick up my people. Um, so right now I'm currently um, recovering from foot and shoulder surgery, which is um hobbled me and made me really slow down oh my god so two surgeries at the same time shoulder and foot yeah <laughs> wow yeah let's just knock <laughs> hey, let's get it over yeah with. let's just let's knock just them <laughs> anything else we got to fix while we're in there you know good lord i hear you yeah well, i hopefully... had this vision that i'd be like laid up in bed with people waiting on me and i don't know why i thought that <laughs> <laughs> and, and happy birthday by the way yes, thank you for birthday. joining us on your birthday thank you yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, uh, and then ultimately, you know, why or, or, or how you became a doctor. I grew up in very rural Kentucky, um, in the mountains outside a little town called Berea, um, which was lovely, a great place to grow up, um, but very different from my life now. So I kind of feel like I have a toe in, in two different worlds. Um, and I became a physician because I am a science nerd. I love reading about medicine. I, lo- I loved reading about you know, scientific advances. But I also really like the idea of a profession that would allow me to combine that aspect with making an immediate impact in the lives of other people. I like people. I like talking to them. I like interacting with them. And so for me, it was really a perfect career. Well, I love people from Kentucky. My twin brother lives in Lexington, Kentucky. My dad was born in Bowling Green, Kentucky. 
So I have a lot of love for the uh, for the state of Kentucky. I don't think I've ever been to a Berea before, but I can tell you uh, there are a lot of differences, you know, between Charlotte and Kentucky. But we're we're both here in Charlotte now, so let's talk a little bit about that. Now, being a doctor, tell us about that journey. Not only you know practicing uh, and being you were even an ER doctor, but then transitioning that into into being an author. Um, you've kind of taken two amazing professions and, and combined them, which is, I don't know if that happens a lot, but that's pretty awesome. It is. I, I'm a huge book nerd. I read all the time. And I decided maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago that I would try my hand at doing this thing that has brought me incredible joy throughout my life when other people do it well. And of course, that's writing. And so I practiced emergency medicine in Charlotte. Um, I went to medical school in Louisville and did my residency partly in Charlotte and partly at Vanderbilt and then practiced here. And I do really love the practice of emergency medicine because you're, you are truly making an immediate impact in the life of another human being who is ill or injured or suffering. And you get to do cool procedures and you're running around like you're on fire and there's a lot to it, but it's also a very draining, difficult career, which I think the world has some appreciation of now more so than before, but you're working nights and weekends and holidays and, and you're constantly living under this cloud of worry, or at least I was that I might harm somebody by making a mistake. You know, the stakes are very high when you literally have people's lives in your hand. And so I always had this, this fear that I would screw it up, that I would hurt somebody. Um, and so I very gradually transitioned more into writing. I sat down without a clue how to write a novel and I wrote a novel, which is a process that led to a, an immense need for revision, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, but I wrote this novel and then I started refining it and honing it and learning more about the process. And eventually I got a literary agent in New York to represent me and I signed with Penguin Random House and I got a contract for more books and I started doing book tours and a lot of social media stuff and giving talks and eventually even teaching writing. So I have been able to combine my two careers because I write medical fiction. Medical fiction. That was my next question. So I want to learn about, you know, you've, you've written a couple different books. One of them is Doctors and Friends and you wrote Doctors and Friends before the pandemic, um, even though you published it during the pandemic, and it is literally about doctors in a pandemic. Now, number one, are you a fortune teller? Um, <laughs> or tell us a little bit about how that, that happened. And I believe that was your second book, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so um, actually my third book. Third and book, nice. I generally apologize to everybody for bringing the plague upon us because <laughs> I did have, I did have the idea and wrote the first draft in 2019. Actually, I had the very first idea in 2018 and kind of pitched it to my editor as a book about a group of physicians during a brand new worldwide viral pandemic. And the main character is an infectious disease doctor. And so she thought that sounded like a great book. And my publisher was originally going to pitch the novel to readers as the hot zone meets Sophie's choice, which uh, if you have read those books, I know that's kind of probably making you cringe because um, the main character in my novel, the infectious disease doctor is 
instrumental in formulating the American response to this new virus, which happens to be her particular specialty. And by the end of the book, both of her children have become deathly ill, and she just happens to have access to one dose of an experimental antiviral medication, and she can only give it to one person. And I know that sounds far-fetched, but I actually based that storyline on a couple of real-life events. And so this is this is what I pitched to the publisher and what I wrote uh, in 2019. And then, of course, we all know what happened in early 2020, and we had to decide whether or not to go forward with the publication of the novel because we knew it would be at least a year before it came out. Publishing moves very slowly, unlike, say, the practice of emergency medicine, you know, and publishing the wheels are turning at glacial pace. And so we ultimately did decide to publish it, but with some changes. That is incredible. You're talking yeah. about timing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I guess this is a dumb question, but would Fauci be that person? The the main character? Yeah. Well, like, you know, in, in the real world, is, is that, that's been Fauci's role, right? So... Oh, I see. Yeah. He, uh, the Actually, what's interesting is um, I through mutual friends, knew him a little bit and was able to talk to him. Um, and he put me in touch with uh, a woman named Kizzy Corbett, Dr. Corbett, who um, is one of the people who had been working on mRNA vaccines for coronaviruses before COVID um, with the National Institute of Health. And she, I believe she's now at Harvard. Um, so I even got to correspond with her and I ultimately named one of the characters in the book, um, the president of the United States, uh, President Corbett in her honor. So I did get, I crowdsourced a huge number of infectious disease doctors, virologists, epidemiologists, um, you know, all kinds of people who were in that field before the pandemic and then throughout the pandemic as well. Now tell us a little bit, you have a uh, an interesting, or you're really your own story. I think everybody has their own story about COVID and, and how that's kind of affected them. And, and some it's affected more than the others, but um, would love for you to share that, you know, with our listeners and, and really what now is being known as long COVID. Yeah. I mean, the irony is not lost on me because actually in the novel, um, the virus causes a long-term neurologic effect in a certain percentage of survivors. And again, this was completely written before it happened to me, <laughs> but it did happen to me. I got COVID in uh, mid to early 2020 from one of my kids. And I had kind of a normal acute course of it. You know, it felt bad like the flu, but not terrible. I wasn't hospitalized. And then I never regained my sense of smell. And it ultimately came back in this really disgusting, toxic way. So instead of smelling things as they actually are, anything that has a scent of its own to me smells like rotting meat or a corpse or you know something decaying. So if you have on perfume, to me, you literally reek. Um, I try to cuddle my kids and they smell like you know rotting bodies and so that was incredibly impactful actually like it took me a really long time to not think about it every minute um, and then I also developed some weird cardiovascular things where my heart would speed way 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 up and I'd be very dizzy and um, I had incredible fatigue especially after any kind of exercise or eating 
Um, so it, it did wind up making a pretty big impact on my life. Wow. Is that well, still happening today? Yeah, I still have parosmia, which is the name of um, distorted smell. Anosmia is not being able to smell at all, which a lot of people had. Um, so I still have that and I still have pretty significant fatigue, which I hate, 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 because I don't like to, um, do nothing. I don't like to rest. Um, but I have made adjustments in my life so that I do. And, um, I am incredibly lucky that I can do that. You know, I don't have to go out and go to the ER anymore. I don't have to, um, you know, I can, I can get people to help me with things, which not everybody can do. So I'm in this position of privilege where I can make adjustments to this, but I do still have it. What do you think? Do you think that's permanent or with your experience and background, is it something that will gradually come back or do we not know? Well, parosmia had not been studied very extensively before COVID. It did exist. Um, People would develop anosmia or parosmia after certain um, drug side effects or after viruses, but really nobody paid that much attention because it was considered to be relatively rare. Now there's a lot of focus on it. And from what we know about parosmia pre-COVID, I believe that sometimes it does resolve and sometimes it does not. So we really don't know for sure. There's, There's a ton of interesting research being done on all the neurologic side effects of COVID. And hopefully, hopefully we will figure it out. You know, you're, you're, um, everybody needs to check out KimmeryMartin.com. There's some amazing, not only information there, you can find all of her books. One of the coolest things is the amount of celebrities and high profile people that have read your books. You have a picture of Britney Spears uh, holding your novel, The Queen of Hearts. You, um, your book was actually in Cobra Kai. You have Martha Stewart that actually had your book, The uh, Antidote for Everything, as her today's homeschool lesson. Now, that's got to be pretty cool to see not only the reach that you've been able to have, but tell us some cool stories about you know people that maybe you had no idea that they knew about your book, and then you, somebody sends you a text message, and you're like, hey, Britney Spears just had a picture, and she's holding your book in her hand. That's got to be pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I found out about the Britney Spears thing because a bunch of Britney Spears fans started texting me or direct messaging me on Instagram. And I had no idea what they were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) We need the book. We need the book. That was so cool. My, um, my best gay guy friend really freaked out. He's like, why did you not call me immediately? (laughs) (laughs) That was very exciting. But for me, the coolest thing actually has been the other writers I've gotten to meet because of uh, my novels. So I'm a hardcore um, book fan. You know, my favorite writers are like my rock stars. And so getting to meet some of them has been incredible. The other thing I would tell people who are interested in writing is it expands your reach and your um, connections to a global level. So now because of really because of the Queen of Hearts, which has a very pretty book cover, um, I asked people to take pictures of it wherever they live or work. And I wound up with people sending me photos from more than 70 different countries, all seven continents. There's even a picture of it um, in Antarctica because there's an ER doctor at McMurdo Station there. But I became virtual friends with some of these people. So I have good friends in Kosovo and I have good friends in Iceland and places that I am incredibly 
amazed and interested in, even if I never meet some of these people in person, it's so wonderful to have connections and hear thoughts and ideas from people all over the globe. Yeah, that's amazing. You, uh, I will have to say this, and if you go on the website, you can read this, but there are some phenomenal reviews on your book. And I don't know which one this is, but I think I'm gonna have to read it. It says love, death, humor, secrets, hot doctor, sex, and a medical procedure performed with a fork. Does that sound like <laughs> something you might be interested in reading? And I'm going to say, yes, that is something I am interested <laughs> in reading. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, some of these reviews from some of the biggest publications, yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That's from I mean, NPR podcast. Yeah, New York yeah. Times. I mean, Newsweek. I mean, they're literally any and every place that really does a review, it seems to, to have very positive reviews. Um, what was it like when you read that one? That's my favorite one of all time. Um, and you should know who said that. It's um, That one was Tommy Tomlinson on the podcast Southbound, which is on NPR. Yeah, He's a local writer who's incredible too. And I got to meet him and we became friends and um, because of the book. Uh, so yeah, that was another example of you know, getting to meet one of the people I idolize. Uh, it's been really cool seeing seeing great reviews for the book. I will temper that by saying that none of my books are bestsellers, and it's an incredibly hard field. Um, and you get a lot of judgment. You know, everybody who experiences any work of art um, has the right to weigh in on their subjective experience of it, and sometimes that's brutal. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of highs and lows. How do you become a bestseller? How does that work? And is that something this Charlotte community can uh, can work to, to maybe get you there sometime? Uh, well, gosh, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the, really, to become a bestseller with any certainty, you need to get picked up by Reese Witherspoon's book club or um, read with Jenna on GMA or, or uh, be a book of the month. Like there's, there's definite signs that your book will be a bestseller pre-publication if if those things happen or if your publisher is, is divesting, investing a huge amount of resources. Um, but sometimes, you know, lightning strikes and people find the book and love it. Um, if you like any author, if you really enjoy a book, leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads because that helps the author's algorithms on those websites. The, the, the websites themselves will promote it the more reviews there are. That's so cool. Now tell us, I, I think you have another book coming out soon. Is that right? Well, I don't have a publication date for the next one, and I'm not quite finished with it, but I am working really hard on it. And it's going to be a little different from my previous ones because it has um, a male protagonist. So there's a husband and wife duo who, both of whose points of view you see in the next novel, and it has kind of a little bit more of a biotechnology focus. And as you mentioned, you read a lot. Uh, I'm sitting here looking at what you're reading now. Um, and you list those out per month on your website, uh, 10, 15 books a month is what you're reading. Is that right? Well, I'm really behind. I, I try to update that website and I do it in three month chunks usually. So I probably haven't even updated it in a long time, but yeah, I do read a lot. That is insane. Ten. What is your favorite book outside of the ones you've written? Of course. Great question. Oh, okay. I can't narrow it down to one book, but I'm going to give you my favorite author or authors okay. um, for nonfiction. I'm a huge fan of Bill Bryson. He wrote a walk in the woods um, and a ton of other nonfiction books about the most incredible array of topics. He writes about science and history and travel and he's incredibly smart and he never 
ever writes a boring sentence. He's so interesting. So my goal is to meet him in person. And I was going to get to because he was going to come to Queens and I was going to introduce him. And I think COVID ended that. So he's probably my favorite nonfiction writer. And one of my favorite fiction writers is Tana French, who's an Irish crime slash mystery writer, but very literary. And her, her wording is just so beautiful. And her books have such excellent suspense without sacrificing just the the art of her work. She's really great. That's so cool. So when, besides writing, are you still, do you still practice as a doctor? Like what's next for you? I mean, you have three kids. I have two kids and we're at the stage right now where it's like, I don't know what we would do if we had three kids. So not on top of that, <laughs> you're, you're a doctor, you're writing books. Um, you're reading 15 books a day. Like I, I feel lazy right now just listening to this podcast. So I need to step up the game. But what's next for you? Um, I'd love to just kind of dive into that. Well, so my oldest child's about to apply to college, which is a whole nother level of insecurity and stress. <laughs> <laughs> We're just starting that, learning about this. And I, it is so overwhelming. Oh, my gosh. Um, so a lot of my time right now is devoted to that. I don't practice in the emergency room anymore. I do. I did volunteer throughout COVID a little bit, and I think it's not confirmed yet, but I think I'm going to start teaching at the new uh, Wake Forest slash Atrium Medical School in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I think I'm going to be teaching something called narrative medicine, which is very interesting. And um, of course, I'm still writing and yeah, I think I need to revert back to my earlier statement that I'm also running around screwing up a lot of stuff. So don't feel bad. No, I love it. When uh, when you get over there to the to the new Wake uh, School of Medicine, that is right across the street from where we are. So please um, come check us out. I know there's a little bit to go in that, but that's really uh, really really neat. So tell us. I, I want to know how old are your kids right now? Um, I have one that's 17. She's about to be 18. One that's 15. Uh, he's a freshman now, and then I have an 11 year old. All right. So here's my question. Selfishly, as a parent of a four year old and a one year old, two boys, I always like to ask parents, you know, what is their best advice? And you seem to be one that is very educated. Um, and although you say you screw up a lot of things, uh, I, I just haven't imagined or I'm imagining you as a very good parent. So if you could sum it up in about a minute, what would be your best advice to, to parents on on raising good kids? Well, you're going to hear from everybody to savor the time that you're in, which is so true, um, especially at the ages of your children, because that is just a precious, hilarious, fun-filled, you know, exuberant time of life. <laughs> that is, that <laughs> is true. You're going to be tired as hell. Yeah. Um, but I think as far as raising good kids, um, I try to teach my children to be resilient. And by that, I mean, let them experience some failure. <laughs> especially early on, you know, we, we in our generation have a tendency to overdo it and to protect them from failure. And they're going to be more resilient people if they learn that actions have consequences and that you can rebound when things go wrong. And so I, I do tell them a lot, you know, what is the worst thing that can happen if you fail at this thing right now? And that's advice I try to take in my own life, too, so that I don't get overstressed. It didn't work out very well in the ER because, again, the worst thing that could happen there is that you kill somebody. But for most situations in childhood, you know, barring tragedy or, you know, pure bad luck, most of the time, if something bad happens in their little lives, 
they're going to be able to deal with it and you can help them through that. Um, and then of course, just, just again, enjoying the, the wonderful things that they say and do. And to parents, I would say, start a journal right now and write down that stuff because it is so funny and you'll forget it. I love that. It's great advice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we're right in it right now. And when you mentioned um, certain things, it's it's hilarious. And what's the worst thing that could happen? I'll tell you a quick story. Yesterday, Grandma's on the playground after soccer shots, and he wants to be a firefighter. And there's a pole that um, you can slide down at the very top of the slide. And he is definitely not big enough to do that. But he decided he was. He went, jumped on the bar, and then literally just fell five feet right onto his chest. Luckily, not hurt at all. Jumped up. I'm completely fine. I almost had a heart attack. But I guarantee you, he's not going to do that again. You know what I mean? So, well, like, like we were saying, you yeah. just fell forward. That's you know? right. Like, I was like, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. He's like, I got it. Boom. Splat. There we go. So luckily, no no bones were broken. Mom wasn't there to, to witness it. So we were all good. Um, no pain, no gain. Yeah, That's you right. Dodged, you dodged two bullets. That's right. Absolutely. It would, that would have been a, one, a good one to explain. Like, well, we're headed to the ER, honey. <laughs> Which, since they're my kids, we'll be doing that a lot, I'm sure. Um Kimberly, this has been really awesome. I I, uh, I look forward to reading, you know, your books. Um, I love, you know, your background. I, I love just really kind of, you know, how you've created, you know, a way to give back to others. And, and that's through all of your knowledge and then putting that to paper. And I think um, you can just tell from the reaction to a lot of people that you're really good at that. Uh, I wish you the best of luck on your, your next book. And, you know, before we let you go, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to, to buy your books? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, you can look on my website, KimmeryMartin.com, where I do keep that running list of books I'm reading in case you want to know. Um, if you like visual stuff, I'm on Instagram at KimmeryMartin. And if you like long, angsty political posts, <laughs> I'm on Facebook. <laughs> I'm also on Twitter, but I um, I'm not, I kind of fail at Twitter because I'm wordy and that, that word count limit, that kills me. Yes, definitely. Well, this is really cool. Um, everybody, you know, that's listening, please go check out, you know, KimmeryMartin.com. Uh, grab a book. It's awesome that we have a, an amazing author right here in Charlotte. Uh, you can check out her family. They're beautiful on her on her uh, Instagram. And uh, Kimmery, it was just a pleasure to, to get to know you, to tell your story. You know, I hope everybody that's listening can connect, but also, you know, go out and read. It's important. Um, take the time to do that. But ultimately, you know, support Kimmery, support what she's doing. Let's make her a bestseller. That's our goal now here in this city. So leave reviews, buy her books. And, uh, and other than that, Kimmery, it's been a pleasure to have you uh, on this podcast. Thank you so much. And I look forward to meeting you in person. Absolutely. Thank you, Kimmery. Thank you. Until next time, you have been listening to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.